Welcome to the Meet the Money Show. I'm Dan Barnes, Editorial Director of Markets Media Europe. And joining me today are Terry Flanagan, Editor of Markets Media, and Shani Bassar, Writer for Markets Media. Guys, welcome back to the show. Nice to be back. Hello, Dan. So today we're going to be talking about market structure. Shani, can you tell us what's been going on in the world of crypto? Well, I think it's quite interesting that people I've been talking to over the past week or so, they're providing market infrastructure for crypto to institutions. And their thesis is that eventually traditional market structure and the digital infrastructure are going to converge. So they're less worried about like the value of Bitcoin or whatever mm-hmm. cryptocurrency happens to be the fad, and more about providing like the connectivity and giving institutions access to the underlying ecosystem. There's four things that kind of happened that were interesting in the last week or so. So there's a firm mm-hmm. called PolySign, and they signed a partnership with Cowan, the investment bank, to give their clients access to digital infrastructure. And they actually own a cust like one of their businesses is a custody business, and that's regulated by the New York State. Yep. So, so that's all kind of, I think it's first digital custodian to be regulated by the New York State. There's a company called Copper in the UK that raised funds, and they do a similar thing where they have they hold all the crypto assets for you and let institutions trade without moving them out of the custody, which like keeps them secure. There's a firm called Talus that just raised loads of money from a load of VCs, including like Anderson Horowitz, and they connect together lots of different parts of the ecosystem, like trading, settlement, custody, lending, borrowing, banks, OTC desks. And that's quite interesting. And then State Street also said yesterday that they're going to set up like this new division for digital finance, which is going to encompass like digital assets, crypto, tokenization. So there's quite a lot happening on the institutional side. Yeah, definitely. In terms of the actual advantages it, it potentially provides then for somebody who's trading crypto at an institutional level, what are the risks that they're currently facing and what are the risks that might ameliorate? So first of all, the custody, for instance, and digital assets is very obviously different from holding traditional assets. And if yep. you have to move it out of custody and give it to some exchange that you don't know very well, then there's a security risk there. And there's also a timing risk that yep. time takes to do that transaction and the market's quite volatile. So they want kind of the same security as you'd have from a traditional custodian which obviously you know is difficult in a digital world at the moment there's obviously things like reliability and then if the firms have been built by people who have come from financial services which most of them have they they know about regulation in capital markets so even though they're not having to meet those standards at the moment they know that's what they have to work to to get institutions so they you know so they're setting up their systems to be scalable to be resilient to meet regulations that they think might come down the line as well. And they mean things like, you know, knowing your customer and making sure the activity is legitimate, things like that. They can sure. they can solve. One of the interesting things about crypto, of course, is it's quite volatile. A lot of that is driven by retail activity and very perhaps, or some might say nebulous, you know, driving forces, purely speculative in some cases. Do you think that if we have institutional money going into that, we might see a bit more stability in terms of price movements? I think partly. And I think the firms that I'm particularly interested in, I have to say, are not the ones that facilitate the trading so much, but the underlying ecosystem. So these firms are saying, it doesn't matter if Bitcoin goes to a dollar. I mean, I don't think it will, but it doesn't really matter because that's not where they make their money. They're facilitating like the connectivity across the ecosystem. They're setting themselves up for kind of the future where traditional securities are going to be issued on a blockchain, for instance. And then they have the tech to handle all of the various bits and pieces that you need to do that. 
Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of difference in the in where you can add value in the settlement. Yeah. If the settlement happens at the point of exchange. The, exactly. so, and then I, also, there's a lot of interest from institutions in, I, I guess, what's called like decentralized finance, so DeFi. Like, for instance, you could own digital assets and then lend them to someone and get interest without just do that on the blockchain, for instance, without going through like an intermediary like you'd have to do now. Yeah. So things like that that you can that you can't do in capital markets at the moment. Yeah. I think those are the kind of things that they're setting themselves up for. Well, that's really interesting. Thanks very much. And then Terry, you've been looking at the equity markets. We've seen Mr. Gensler discussing market structure there. Can you tell us what that was about? Yeah, the US equity market or equity markets are you know very mature electronic market as uh, uh, you know very different from from crypto. But yeah, the big news this week was Gary Gensler, uh, the fairly recently sworn in as head of the Securities and Exchange Commission. He had been head of the CFTC some years ago, but he gave his first major industry speech and speaking at the Piper Sandler Global Exchange and Fintech Conference, he laid out a, a fairly broad agenda as to what he's going to be looking at in the equity markets. And, you know, regulators don't often don't make news with their speeches. They can be kind of boring and they kind of restate what the, the agency has already said. But really? he, he, he yes, it's it's true. Believe it or not, regulators are not the most colorful people. We've had them at our conferences and typically all they say is uh you know you know restate what's been in their, their their press releases so so they're not the most colorful people he brought up a bunch of points as to what they're going to be looking at some of them are fairly obvious payment for order flow this has been re, you know under some uh, regulatory review in some way shape or form for some time now talking about the gamification of trading at, and for retail investors in terms of some of these retail brokerages promoting trading and making it like a game and that might not end well for some retail investors in a booming in a bull market it's great but when uh, things turn south there might be some repercussions there spoke about best best execution in the context of national best bid and offer kind of what the connection is there sometimes it's not as direct as it needs to be and also talked about central clearing and the idea of compressing settlement from two days to one but really the most interesting thing he talked about and i i think the most got the most ripples in the market he Talked about the ascendance of wholesale sailors. These are large electronic making market making firms, Virtu, Citadel Securities. That these firms execute almost forty percent of U.S. equity trading volume on some days, and they're not. They don't have the regulation that lit exchanges do, and there's also some worrisome concentration in that group. So he talked about that and uh, kind of indicated that there's uh, it may well be some regulation coming down the line there. And for when I, I say market reaction, the stock of Virtu Financial dropped about 8% on, on Wednesday. Uh, people when, you know, the, the day that Chairman Gensler spoke, you know, people just have a feeling that there's, there's going to be some, some tighter oversight on, on these wholesalers, as, as Gensler called them. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, HFT firms, we've seen struggle in terms of their share price in many cases, despite the fact that they often trade an entire year without having a single day of trading loss. The margins they trade on are very thin, don't necessarily generate huge amounts of profit, even if it's fairly consistent. And the idea of further regulation, I can see, would potentially be a problem for for their investors. Terry, you also saw that Hester Pierce of the SEC talked about the gamification of communications by the SEC to investors. Now, I honestly was a bit thrown by this. I'm not quite sure how one would gamify communications with investors, retail or wholesale. Do you have a view on that? 
Right. It, it was a very interesting comment. And it's I, I guess you might say it's not your father's SEC if they're thinking of doing this. I think it is not clear how they would exactly would, would do this, but it does make sense because I don't think that 20 somethings today who are the a lot of the retail traders are, you know, consuming their news in the same way and going to be going to the SEC website and looking at press releases. So I do think she does have a good point about uh, meeting. As she said, we need to gamify our communications with investors. We need to meet them where they are. That does make sense conceptually. Uh, and it also is, you can say, well, it's a contradiction if Robinhood's not allowed to gamify, for example, not allowed to gamify their app, but SEC can gamify their communications. But then I guess you have to look at the consequences because it has been shown that excessive trading generally results in subpar in investment return over the long term. Yeah. So, you know, you know, retail brokerages can't be going out there and saying trade, trade, trade. If the end result is going to be losing money, the SEC can gamify their communications because, you know, theoretically their consequences are there aren't, there aren't any negative consequences. So there's a lot to kind of unpack here. I think it's really preliminary on the SEC side. And if it ever happens, we'll see. But, it, you know, very interesting conceptually, at least. Definitely. No, I'm really looking forward to seeing the SEC's Instagram account. Right. Yeah, I'm looking for uh, some sort of like bells and whistles and like sounds on, on the app and, and all, all kinds of crazy images and crazy, crazy video. And I, I don't know what else, but it should be very interesting. Bells and whistles is so baby boomer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Dating myself for sure, sadly. I thought it was interesting that Gensler kind of mentioned payment for order flow as well in the context of both exchanges paying rebates and obviously the wholesalers buying retail flow. Yeah. And we don't have, obviously we don't have payment for order flow in the UK because it's not allowed. So I thought it was quite interesting that, I mean, he didn't say he was going to stop it, but I thought it was interesting that he even said he was going to review it. So I don't know, Terry, whether you think there's a possibility it might get banned because if it did, that would obviously have huge impacts on US market structure. Yeah, I don't think actually we, we ran a poll on Traders Magazine, what should tra- regulators do regarding payment for order yeah. flow? And the choices were leave it be, regulate it tighter and ban it. And banning it is not really, people do not think that's going to be the case. Although that, you know, it was, uh, it was reasonable voting support for that. But I think that is not a realistic, I think it is very entrenched in the market. I think what is more likely is to put some sort of, of rules that more make, emphasize best execution more and make it clear that the conflicts of interest must be, I don't know, about disclosed more or something. But I, I do think they're going to add some regulations around it to kind of tighten it up. I, I would be very surprised if they went as far as the banning it because that, that would be really, uh, that, would, that would be a really big change. Yeah, I certainly think, and it's a good point, Charlie. I certainly think the idea of payment for order flow, both from exchanges as well as offering subsidies to people in order to generate flow, is an interesting one. I mean, if you go back to the origin of BATS, obviously that was put together by Dave Cummings, who previously ran a high-frequency trading firm. He went effectively on a sabbatical, built better automated trading system, then went back to the HFT firm. It's entirely possible for people to do that. And of course, then they're building a system which would provide subsidies to the firm they go back to in his case, which is, you know, really interesting for his business. It helps to generate 
revenues while at the same time changing market structure. Nothing wrong with that, of course. You know, BATS had to compete in the market and actually it's done very well, enormously well as a trading platform. But it does create, what some would say, unnatural liquidity flows in the market. And there are reasonable questions to ask as to whether that distorts best execution and distorts the natural process of investment because it channels liquidity into places it otherwise wouldn't necessarily go. Exactly. I think it's a quick question of transparency, which I guess yeah. is why there's been so much debate over the transparency of where orders are rooted. Yeah. So you have to like justify it. You should like the the end investor should always know like you've gone to where the best execution is rather than who's paying you to go there, basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like the, the whole influencer thing in social media. If you know that, you know, journalists have to say that they are writing a sponsored article, influencers actually have to, but often don't because they yeah. simply the rules. They see themselves as being a, a new type of business. It's actually just media. So, you know, payment for order flow, you've got the same issue. You've got to make sure that people are aware if they aren't getting best execution. I agree. I mean, we've just seen this in fixed income. We were looking this week on the desk at the Burton Taylor report on electronification of fixed income markets. This was a report which tried to look at how new electronic trading systems in the fixed income markets were affecting the pricing of bonds and bond trading. And the overall impact was generally seen as being pretty positive, as in new trading venues were providing different ways of trading, which allowed investment managers and sell-side firms to execute orders in different ways. Overall, that provided a greater range of pricing options and therefore greater liquidity to the market. So generally, view is quite positive. Uh, One of the challenges we've seen this year is that the volumes have started to drop off this year for electronic trading platforms, not across the board, but just in certain markets. And so it's going to be interesting to see how much that affects liquidity for the end users, I think. But fixed income markets have some way to go in terms of reaching either crypto in terms of electronification or certainly equities in terms of electronification and automation. People have voice. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, mostly voice. But one of the interesting things is the SEC at the moment hasn't actually reinstated the fixed income market structure committee, which it had up until the beginning of this year. It ran out of its tenure and we're hoping to see that reinstated by the SEC at some point. Anyway, we'll see how that goes. Well, that's been great. Terry, Shani, thank you both so much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you.